As you know, we are living in the United States of America today in a country that is pretty deeply divided, and divided right about at 50-50. In November of 2016, there were, I don't know, 35, 40, 45% of Americans perhaps who felt that as a result of the election of 2016, our country was already or soon would be on a path to destruction. There was a lot of angst about that. In November of 2020, after those elections, another 35, 40, 45%, but then on the other side, felt that our country was or would soon be on a path toward destruction. There were pretty deep feelings of anxiety, of despair, of hopelessness. And I know that because I literally heard that from people on both sides. Add to that the events of this last year in regards to COVID, the illness and death, the isolation from family and friends, the loss of educational opportunities, jobs, financial security, and realizing what COVID has revealed about the brokenness of our society, especially in regards to the social safety net, issues of inequality, poverty, racism, et cetera, et cetera. Plus, any personal circumstances you may have experienced of sadness, loss, betrayal, or pain. And I know that many of you, and I know that my wife and I, have had those experiences just in this last year. So how do we find our way in the midst of darkness? How do we keep our feet when this kind of deep existential crisis is here? How do we find hope in the midst of despair? And if you look up the word despair in the dictionary, the, the, the definition literally means the complete loss or absence of hope. Well, Jeremiah the prophet can help us. He lived in a time of great danger, 650 years or so before Christ. The southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem itself were under siege by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And then during the long ministry of Jeremiah, of course, the invasion happened. Jerusalem and her temple were destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of Israelites were carried into captivity and exile. Others were left behind in extremely poor and desperate circumstances. And Jeremiah, who prophesied about the against the injustice of the time and about the destruction that was coming, got in a lot of trouble from the king and others in power for prophesying what was coming and calling the people to repentance. But in that those deep and desperate and dark times, he also preached a message of hope. And so what I want to do very briefly this morning is just very quickly go touch on a couple of themes in the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is about 50 chapters. It's actually quite long. 
And it's one of those books that's really hard to, to organize. It's full of stories, it's full of prophecies, it's full of images, it's full of things that Jeremiah does. And it switches in time and it goes back and forth and it, it, it flips in its history. It's like a cornucopia of stories and images and themes. And so we're just going to pick out three themes. They're, they kind of flow from one another. And they come from a book by Ellen Davis called Biblical Prophecy. That's where I'm getting this outline from. And you'll notice this morning that I'm uh, putting on my reformed suit. This is going to be a three-pointer. Not including communion, this is going to be a three-pointer. So what does Jeremiah do in the middle of this devastation? Now remember, the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time is attacking Jerusalem. Threatening and attacking. And Jeremiah sees from God what is going to happen and the devastation that's going to happen. And it is a worse devastation than any that we are in right now. The first thing Jeremiah does is he confronts idolatry. It's the first thing he does. The main thing that he does. Listen to this scripture we're just going to be plucking scriptures from various places in Jeremiah. From 11, verse 13. For your gods have become as many as your cities, O, Judy, o Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. So Jeremiah is standing in front of the king, and he's standing on the streets of Jerusalem, and he's saying, you have made many gods instead of serving the one God. And then later in chapter, not later, in another place in chapter 5, he says this. And as we read through these few verses, notice how these verses fit in with our theme of God, his land, and his people. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps us keeps for us the weeks appointed for the heart. Notice what they're saying. The people of Judah do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord. So instead of fearing the Lord, they're going to other places. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds. Their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and rich. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless, to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. Now, there's something very interesting happening here, if you pay attention. Usually, when we think of idolatry, we think of setting up some kind of an image and then worshiping that image instead of God, and it's, it's us relating to the image instead of us relating to God. And that's true. That's what idolatry is was, especially in those times. But there's also, you notice in this passage, this horizontal aspect to it. 
because they have not feared feared the Lord, our God, you've become wicked. You've become like fowlers lying in wait. You've caught, you're catching men. Your houses are full of deceit. You've become great and rich. You've grown fat and sleek. You know no bounds in deeds of evil. You judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper, and you do not defend the rights of the needy. See this connection here? Because you've left the fear of God, your horizontal relationships are broken, and there's injustice between people, and the land isn't doing what it should do. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, defines idolatry in our century as this. A counterfeit god, an idol, is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol for us is anything that if you would lose it, your life would hardly be worth living. And he lists four things. Power, approval. Isn't it true that we are all seeking and longing for people to think that we are okay? Comfort. Isn't it true that we are all doing everything we can to live comfortable lives? And control. Isn't it true that we are doing everything we can to control our environment and control our world in such a way that we can live in comfort and in safety? There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But when they become the things that we cannot live without then we break up this dance that's happening between God and his people and his land and injustice comes and disease comes and evil comes and the the creation rises up. In agony and in groaning because of what we're done. So Isaiah says, you are idolaters. And in the crisis of our day, whether you think it's a political crisis or a pandemic crisis or whatever other crisis you have, the first one of the first questions to ask yourself is, am I, are we idolaters? And again, not just in the sense of we've built an image and we're worshiping that image, but we're going after approval, power, comfort, and control. And without them, for us, life isn't worth living. Then Jeremiah does this also in his prophecy. He experiences the loss and the crisis to the depths of his soul. Ellen Davis calls this the felt reality of loss. Listen to this from Jeremiah chapter 4. Verse 19, my anguish, he writes, and the actual word that's used there is gut. 
my anguish, my gut, my anguish, my gut, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly, and I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Crash follows hard on crash. The whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise, quote, in doing evil. But how to do good, they know not. Just leave that scripture there for a minute, Rick. You see again the the horizontal nature of this. Jeremiah is looking around and he's he's feeling the pain and he's feeling the crash and he's hearing the trumpets of war. He's hearing the alarms of war. Crash follows hard on crash. The land is laid waste. And I look around and I see foolish people who know me not. They're stupid. They have no understanding. They're great in doing evil. But how to do good, they know not. And Jeremiah stays in that lament. He recognizes it. He puts it out on the table in front of him and says, this is the situation, and it is really bad, and it is painful, and I am in anguish. I writhe in pain. To lament is to see to stand in, to describe, to tell the truthful story about the brokenness around us and in us. To lament is to learn to refuse to be consoled by easy explanations or false hopes. Lament is bringing our situation into conversation with God and learning to pray with urgency. Lament is a journey into seeing what God sees and feeling what God feels. I love that last sentence. Lament is a journey into seeing what God sees and feeling what God feels. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Son goes out, takes half of his father's inheritance, goes out and ruins his life. And the father is standing there every day in front of his house with the same kind of anguish that Jeremiah describes, waiting, waiting, waiting for his son to come back. And Henry now, in his his excellent book called The Prodigal Son, in the last chapter of that book, as he's led us through the story, says, okay, now it's your chance to become the father. You were the prodigal son, Now, as you come back to the father, that's great. The next step is to become the father, to stand there on that porch, to stand there in front of that house and to to see what God sees and to feel what God feels. And I want to encourage you as we're in this time of, of crisis, whatever it is for you, whether it's a very personal one, or whether it's in your family and family relationships, 
or whether it is really as you look at the news and you think to ourselves, because this party is in control, we are now in deep, deep trouble, whatever party it is. And when you begin to despair, stay there for a moment. Because that's what God feels. And when you feel that despair, when you feel that anguish, when you writhe in pain, as Jeremiah says, you are coming into, into connection with the heart of God. Jeremiah is full of lamentation because he stays there and he feels it and he doesn't hide it and he gives no easy answers or easy explanations. But, and this is the third, Jeremiah always lays claim to hope. Davis puts it this way, the prophetic trajectory in the Bible tends toward hope. And you remember the famous Martin Luther King um, statement, the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice. There's always hope that sounds in the book of Jeremiah and in the rest of the scriptures. Listen to these words from Jeremiah 31. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather them and will keep, gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden. And notice here again the images about the land and about the fruitfulness of the land. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then, the, then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Don't you long for that nowadays? Don't you long to see that happening, that God is bringing back his people to himself? That we are radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, over the flocks and over the herds, over the watered gardens, not having to languish anymore, rejoicing in the dance, young and old being merry, turning mourning into joy, giving gladness, for sorrow. That's the vision that Jeremiah puts before us, laying claim to hope. The long-term goal of prophecy is the transformation and renewal of a people and a culture. A genuine and healthy community built on a renewed and deepened faith, a relationship to God, 
leaving idols aside, and a sustainable land and economy. See all that coming together. As a stepping stone into our celebration of communion, I'd like to play a song for you that my wife and I actually just found out about this week. It was uh, used in an app that we both use called Pray As You Go, which I very highly recommend to you. It's an app you can download on your tablet or phone. Um, It comes from England, I believe from the Jesuit community. Just a 10-minute little daily prayer which includes some music and a reading of scripture and some time of reflection. Very, very worthwhile. But there's all different kinds of music in there. And this song was used, um, uh, I believe, on Thursday it was. It's called, Oh God, Will You Restore Us? It's done by Bifrost Music. And actually, the composer of this song um, is a graduate of uh, Covenant College. So he's a kind of within our community and not from some foreign place around the world. This song um, uh, uses quotes primarily from Psalm 85 and Isaiah 58. And you will see in this song and hear in this song a lot of the themes that we've talked about about today. So as we move into communion, just open yourself up to the words and music of this beautiful uh, song, O God, Will you restore us? Oh God, will you restore us and grant us your salvation? Oh God, will you restore us and grant us your salvation? God proclaims peace, kindness and truth shall meet, justice and peace shall kiss, oh God will you restore us and grant us your of the oppressed and break their chains. Let righteousness and justice go out before you. Then you will call out and I will hear. Oh God, will you restore us and grant us your salvation to those who call on him he will incline his ear and hear their prayers truth shall spring out of the earth justice will rain down from heaven no 
the dawn. Your people will be called repairers of broken walls, making straight the path to proclaim His reign. One of the most famous passages in the prophecy of Jeremiah are these words from chapter 31, the verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So God promises through Jeremiah, the days are coming when a new covenant will happen. When, as we sung about already this morning, the heart of stone will be changed into a heart of flesh when the law will be written on our hearts and when I will be their God and they shall be my people and I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That's your sin as an individual and our sin as a community. And this passage, this quote from Jeremiah is quoted almost exactly word for word in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, to the Jews. Exactly the same words. And it's placed in the context of Jesus, the great high priest. There's a couple of chapters in Hebrews that talk about Jesus being the great high priest. Here's one of them that you may know. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He feels our pain. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'd like to invite you to this table this morning, whether you're here in the building or at home. 
First, in recognition of your idolatry, we are sinners. We are idolaters. Power, approval, comforts, and control drive us. We are 20, 21st century Americans. And we want nothing more than to be comfortable, to have control, to be approved of, and to have power. So we confess that sin. And we come to our high priest, Jesus, who sympathizes with us, who knows what it's like, who also knew the pain and the agony of a broken world. But who, through his life and death and resurrection, turned things around and made it possible for us as individuals and for us as a community to live as people of his, people of his kingdom. He restores us and he draws us to himself. Whatever your need is this morning, I invite you to come. And I invite you to come to this high priest, this throne of grace, to receive mercy and forgiveness and find grace, undeserved merit, find grace to help in time of need. Lord, we come and we confess that we're idolaters. We have, we have turned away from the fear of you, of the love for you. We've turned away from the dance with you to control our own lives and to do our own thing. And that has resulted in a lot of ruin for ourselves personally, for our relationships, for our communities, for our country, for our world. So we come, we feel the pain this morning, but we lay claim, not just to a hope of something that might happen sometime in the future, but we lay claim to the hope that has happened, that Jesus Christ has come, has lived, died, risen out of the grave, grave, broken the chains of death. And he is working to restore us and restore all things. So would you help us this morning to, to come humbly, to come contritely, but to come hopefully, to come faithfully, to come lovingly, to come trustingly. And would you grant us mercy and give us grace to help in this time of need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.